you open your Bibles to the book of Titus this morning. Titus, a little bitty book over between 2 Timothy and Hebrews. And it's so good to see you in church this morning. And, uh, you know, for a, uh, for a holiday weekend, I guess you might call me ye of little faith. I told Mary, I said, we'll have a slim crowd this morning because it's going to be a holiday weekend. And I know of a lot of people who are at the lake and who are, I know of some folks at a family reunion and and I uh, know of a lot of people who are traveling. And then Deb handed me the note, there's 101 in Sunday school this morning. So thank you for making the effort to be at church, uh, even though it would have been really easy to have an excuse as to why you weren't going to be here this morning. Just It's a holiday weekend, but thank you for being here this morning. You know, I heard a story uh, recently about a man named Bill, okay? And Bill had memory problems. I mean, he had no official... Uh, diagnosed anything. He just couldn't remember. He couldn't remember hardly anything. Everybody knew that Bill had memory problems. And one day, Bill's out and about around town, and he runs into his good friend Joe. And he says, he says, hey, Joe, you'll never believe it. I went to this conference about how to uh, retain memories and how to remember things and how to, how to improve uh, my short-term memory and remember the things that people tell me and all that. You know, I won't be missing appointments anymore. I won't be missing. I can remember things now. I went to this conference, and it's just amazing how well my memory is, how good my memory is. And so, so his friend Joe says, well, Bill, you know, said, I'm getting on up there, and it's, things are starting to slip a little bit. I, maybe I need to go to that conference. Uh, what's the name of that conference? I'd like to go to it. And Bill said, um, well, let me ask my wife. Okay? I want to make sure you get the exact right name of it. Let me ask my wife. So he turns around, his wife, and then he stops, and he turns around, and he looks at his friend Joe, and he says, hey, Joe, what do you call you know, that flower with a long stem and thorns on it, and, you know, a red bud at the top. And he said, are you talking about a rose? He said, yeah. And he turned around and said, hey, Rose, what's the name of that conference we went to? <laughs> Sometimes we forget things. Sometimes we need a little help remembering things. And that's why we have holidays uh, like we'll celebrate tomorrow. Say so we'll celebrate like we will observe tomorrow in Memorial Day, to help us to remember the sacrifices of all those who laid their life down so that we could enjoy the freedoms we have today, including the freedom to assemble together here and to worship the way we want to worship, that we don't have to hide as we do this, that we can post publicly what we're doing here today and not risk the government coming in and telling us we can't do it. And so we remember those who have laid their lives down and, you know, we need to have days like Memorial Day to remind us of that, to remember those things. You know, Memorial Day is said to have officially begun in Waterloo, New York, in May 1866, to remember the Union soldiers lost in the Civil War. It was originally uh, something the northern states observed. And they would go out and they would decorate the graves of their soldiers and leave, leave flowers and flags. And so that's why they called it Decoration Day to begin with, because they quite literally decorated the graves. And I had never really heard it called that. I just don't know why. I'd never been taught that phrase until Brother Eric texted me a couple months ago and said, hey, you need to make sure that you can preach you know, on the last Sunday in May because Shiloh wants me to preach their Decoration Day service. And I thought... 
you have no decorating skills. Why would they need you to come? <laughs> yeah, I, then I, I'm ashamed to say I Googled decoration day <laughs> and realized that was just another word for Memorial Day, just something I had not been taught before, you know? I mean, come on, I'm from Louisville. They didn't teach us all of that sort of thing. But you know, Memorial Day became an official federal holiday. It wasn't until 1971 that Memorial Day became an official federal holiday. It's important that we remember why we observe it. You know, that it's not, although it's become to to mark the official uh, beginning of the summer season and that sort of thing, and and because we're off work, we do use it as as a reason to go to the lake and to do all that kind of, and there's no problem with that. Because you know what? Men and women who've died for our freedom died for our right to go have fun at the lake too. We ought not forget the meaning of Memorial Day. That those they shed their blood so that we could be free. And you know, we celebrate a lot of things like that in the United States. We have a lot of monuments to remember things and all of that. But no matter how smart we think we are, you know, we really didn't invent that concept of having a day to set aside to remember something, or having a monument to remember something. Throughout cultures, throughout all of history, that's been happening. And all throughout the Bible we see that. You know, if we were to, to go to make a survey of the Old Testament, we would see uh, monument after monument, altar after altar being built to remember times and places where God did things. We see days set aside, and holidays, if you will, set aside to remember things that God had done. You know, after wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, God finally allowed the children of Israel to go into the promised land and he rolled back the waters of the Jordan River and they walked across into the promised land. And when they got to the other side, Joshua said, we're going to take 12 stones and we're going to build a monument, for lack of a better term, so that we always remember what God did at this place. When God sent the plagues upon Egypt, to, to spur Pharaoh, this back before, all, you know, they went into the promised land, of course, back even before that, God sent the plagues on Egypt to spur Pharaoh into releasing the Jewish people from slavery. And, of course, we know that tenth and final plague was the death of the firstborn in every household. But what did God tell them? He said, you put the, you put the blood of a lamb over the doorpost and the spirit will pass over and spare the firstborn in those households. And so to this day, people who practice Judaism still celebrate the Passover. They have a holiday, a celebration to remember that great thing that God did for them. And on and on and on throughout the Bible, it is evident that God desires for his people, for his children, to remember what he's done for them in the past. You know, even if you go over, uh, go back into to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 11, he explicitly tells the people. He says, not only are you to remember this, not only are you to remember the things I've done for you, not only are you to remember when I brought your ancestors out of Egypt, not only are you to remember all the great ways I've delivered your people, but you're to teach it to your children. That's what he says over in Deuteronomy, chapter 11. He says, teach it to your children. It's important that we teach our children. Because do you want to know why so many, in younger generations especially today, have a sense of entitlement? I don't have to make, convince you to believe that a lot of younger people today have a sense of entitlement, do I? A lot of people feel entitled. Why? 
because we as a society have failed to teach them about the hard work and the sacrifices of the generations before them to provide the freedoms they have today. That freedom isn't free. We haven't taught that. And God wants us to teach our children about the things that he has done so that we'll remember that the freedoms we have as Christians are not free. You know why so many young people leave the church today? They graduate high school, they leave the church, they never come back. It's because we as parents are failing to teach them about the favors of God on our lives and about the way God blessed our families throughout generations and generations. We fail to teach them the importance of putting God first. And you know what? I'm going to get off my soapbox after I say one more thing. It's not that we fail to teach them with our mouths. More often than not, we fail to teach them about the importance of putting God first through our actions. Preaching to the choir here, those of you who are at church on Memorial Day weekend. But when we choose to put other things before God, when we choose to put other things before his church, and get this, Jesus died for the church. And when we allow our children to put other things in front of the church, how do you think they're going to continue to grow? Off my soapbox. That's a whole nother sermon. Maybe I'll do that next time. Memorial Day reminds us of the price paid for the freedoms we have as Americans, and sometimes we just need to be reminded of some things in our Christian walk as we go through. And so over in the book of Titus, where we're going to be today, of course, this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to Titus, whom he calls a son in the faith, Titus being one of the most trusted helpers that Paul had throughout much of his ministry. And Paul wrote this to Titus, as now Titus is ministering to the Christians on the island of Crete, the island nation of Crete. And I think it's important that we know a little bit about these Christians here in Crete uh, and a little bit about their behaviors and actions so we can kind of get a little better, uh, maybe a little better understanding why Paul's writing the things we're going to get to over in another chapter. But in chapter 1, Titus chapter 1, he says this. This is about the Christians in Crete, beginning in verse 10. He says, For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, those who are saved, whose mouths must be stopped. He's talking about believers. He's talking about people who profess to be followers of Christ. And he says, Their mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them a prophet of their own, so one of their own people has this to say about them. Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Wow. It's kind of like every once in a while I'll make a Baptist joke, and I say I can do that because I'm a Baptist, been one all my life. I can talk about Baptist people. This guy is a Cretan, been a Cretan all his life probably. He can talk about the Cretans. He can talk about how they act. And he said, the Cretans are liars. Not sometimes, they're always liars. They're evil beasts. And they're lazy gluttons. You know? From the outside looking in, especially if you watch much cable news, and I don't anymore, 
That's probably the way most of the world views Americans. Liars. Evil beasts. Lazy gluttons. No soapbox there. No doubt Paul had his work cut out. No doubt Titus had his work cut out. As Titus is there ministering and as Paul is supporting him in prayer and in teaching, but no doubt Titus had his work cut out as he ministers to these liars, these evil beasts, and these lazy gluttons. And so over in chapter 2, verse 1, it's still not to our text yet, but in chapter 2, verse 1, Paul tells Titus, he says, since that's the case, since they are liars and evil beasts and lazy gluttons, speak these things which are for sound doctrine. Teach them these things. And then he goes on through chapter 2. We're not going to read it, but you ought to sometime. Because this is stuff we all ought to know. These are things we all ought to be teaching our children. He falls with a list of things that we as a society need so bad today about how people ought to act, about how young men and young women ought to act, about how older people ought to act in respect to the younger people and teach them and all of these things that we ought to get a hold of today. But you see there, he says, speak these things, teach them these things. In other words, these are things in chapter 2 that they don't know yet. These are things that don't come naturally. These are things that, they sh- that you know, even though they're saved, they don't know these things. So teach them these things. But then everything changes over in chapter 3, verse 1. You see that first word in chapter 3? It says, remind. And as I was preparing this, I thought, you know, I wonder what other English translations say. What other word do they use? And so I got on a a website that I I get on a lot of times to look at other Bible translations because I don't own them all. And I switched through just about every English translation. And every English translation, the very first word, In chapter 3, verse 1, says, remind. In other words, now Paul says, Titus, the things I'm about to tell you, they ought to already know all these things. Maybe they've forgotten it. Maybe they hadn't. They need to remember these things. They need to be reminded of these things. To remind means to help somebody remember something they already know. These people were liars. They were evil beasts. They were lazy gluttons. That's what one of their own said. Yet these things we're about to read, the liars, the evil beasts, and the lazy gluttons knew it. I think we all know these things too. But since we're talking about remembering things today on Memorial Day weekend, maybe some good reminders for us here in Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Let's read a few verses here, and then we'll talk about them. Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authority, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating others. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration 
and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundant, uh, abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to be here, to be reminded of the things you've done for us, to be reminded of the things we're to do for you. I pray that you would speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul tells Titus, there's some things they need to be reminded of. And he just jumps right in there. First thing he says, and I'm just going to give you the the Jeremy translation of what verses 1 and 2 mean. He says, remind them their attitude matters. You know, the, the thing that I think most Christians need to be reminded of, myself included, is attitude matters. The most important attitude for a Christian, though, ought to be submission. And it's the hardest attitude to get a hold of. John MacArthur says that submission to the authority of Scripture demands submission to human authorities as part of a Christian testimony. And Paul tells Titus, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities. Remind them to be in submission. We're not just talking about to live in submission to government authorities over us, which we ought to do, but all those authorities that are over us. You know, everybody has a boss. You say, well, I work for myself. You know, well, your customers are your boss, right? If you work for yourself, and you ought to live a life, you ought to work in submission to those authorities over you. What does any of that have to do with submitting to Scripture. Well, if we look back in Romans chapter 13, in Romans chapter 13, Paul lays it out there as well. And I forgot to mark that in my Bible, so we'll just all turn there together to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, Paul talks about the importance of submitting to government and submitting to those who are in positions of authority over us. Romans chapter 13, verse 1, Paul says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. So Paul says to submit to the authorities in our life is to submit to the ordinance of God. So here's what all that means. Be a good citizen. Be a good employee. Be a good worker without compromising your faith. He says... In in, in other passages of Scripture, do everything you do. Work as if you're working for the Lord. Here in Titus chapter 3, he says to submit. How do we do that? He says to obey. What does that mean, to obey? Well, as we're submitting to the governing authorities, it means don't cheat on your taxes for one thing, right? I mean, we just had tax day, and I don't know. I I mean, if you're like me, 
I don't like paying taxes, but I don't mind paying taxes just simply because I appreciate the services that are provided by my tax dollars. I like having good roads to drive on, even though around in some parts the roads are not that great, but I'm there better than nothing. I appreciate having law enforcement and fire departments and all those things, public schools, all those things that are funded by our tax dollars. I don't mind paying taxes, but I don't want to pay a penny more than I have to. But I want to pay every penny that I'm supposed to. Because you know what? If I cheat on my taxes, it doesn't say anything about the government. It's causing to question my personal integrity. And if my personal integrity is called into question, and if I am audited and they find that I've cheated on my taxes and it's in the newspaper, local pastor jailed for tax evasion. Yeah, we laugh, but what has that done? That's ruined my ministry. And if it happens to you, it's ruined your ability to witness. You see, that's why personal integrity matters in every area of our life, including submission to authority. When it comes to work, it means don't steal the office supplies, right? That's personal integrity. It means when you're at work, this is a novel concept, work, right? I mean, that is submitting to the authorities above you. The person you work for is paying you to work, not play on Facebook, right? Unless you're a social media manager of some sort. And then maybe you get paid to play on Facebook. It's all a matter of personal integrity. And it directly affects our ability to witness to others. Paul says, remind them that their attitude matters. Attitude towards those over them. Do what's right when nobody's watching. That's how we respect those who are over us. But he says it's not just about that. It's about your attitude towards everyone else too. He says in, in uh, verse 2, speak evil of no one. Be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. It's about others too. Back in, in, in verse 1, he said, be ready for every good work. Let's don't skip that. Because you see, that's important. What does that mean? That means to cooperate in those matters that involve the whole community. Let me put it in another way that a lot of people really need. Some, some people just need to flat out be told this. It's not about you, right? Life is not about you. Cooperate in matters that involve the whole community. Be ready for every good work. That means you might have to give a little. Compromise for the good of the community. And some people... They get all legalistic and say, oh, I can't compromise. You know, I think Scripture teaches us we're supposed to compromise as long as we don't compromise our morals and as long as we don't compromise our values and as long as we don't compromise the truth of Scripture. We're supposed to compromise so that we can advance the kingdom. Let me give you an example. This is going to sound... I don't know what it's going to sound like, and this may completely make you not like me anymore. But you know what? If they tried to build a mosque down the road, I wouldn't try to stop them. Because the minute I try to shut down their faith, they have a legal right to shut down mine. You see, I have to compromise, and I have to allow them to do their thing. You know what it means? I just need to work harder at mine. I just need to work harder to try to win people for Jesus so that they don't have anybody to try to win to their faith. 
But we have to compromise sometimes. We have to allow other people to do things so that our rights don't get shut down. Paul said attitude is key. Paul said attitude matters. And I'll even go this far to say attitudes change the world. If you don't believe me, you just, you've been around somebody with a bad attitude for a little while, what happens to you? Your attitude sours. You're around somebody who's constantly in a, bad, in a good mood, your mood improves. So have a good attitude. It affects others. Speak evil of no one. Be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to men, he said in verse 2. Over in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, Paul said, if possible, and I'll just tell you, it's possible. If possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. As much as it depends on you, that means if somebody's got a bad mood and it's going to put you in a good mood, then you just move, right? Don't be in that area. Live peaceably with everyone. Apparently, they already knew this. Those liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons, they knew this. Because Paul said, remind them. They already know this. We know this, too. Sometimes I need a little reminder that my attitude matters. Why is it important for us to remember the impact of our attitude? Paul gives a personal example as we continue there in verse 3. Paul says, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating others. Paul said, I used to have a bad attitude too. Paul said, I used to hate other people. Paul said, I used to to hate people. I I lived in malice and envy, serving various lust, lust and pleasures. Paul said, I had a bad attitude. But what happened? Verse 4, the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared. I had a bad attitude until I allowed God to change my life. I had a bad attitude until God got a hold of me with his love and with his mercy. How do we keep our attitudes in check? Here's our reminders on this Memorial Day weekend. He says, remember what you used to be. That's what he's showing them. Remember what you used to be. Remember that you once were on a road headed to hell. He said, I once was disobedient. I was once disobedient to God, but then his love got a hold of me. Remember what you used to be. He doesn't get right to the point in the New King James Version, the way they've translated it. We have some prepositional phrases here that are moved around, but in other translations, it'll read more like this. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, he saved us. In the New King James Version, we got some other prepositional phrases which carry a lot of weight. But when the kindness of God appeared, he saved us. How did he save us? He says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't earn your way to heaven. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. For by grace we've been saved through faith, Paul said in Ephesians. For by grace we've been saved through faith, not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. There's one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way. One way to heaven, 
Paul said, I was headed straight for hell, but Jesus saved me. Remember what you used to be. So what about this kindness of God? Back in verse 4 again, he says, But the kindness of the love of God, our Savior, towards man appeared. And in verse 5, it says he saved us. And we get down to verse 7. We get, what's the so what of all of this? What's the kindness of the love of God? It's salvation. What does salvation bring? We get that in verse 7. Having been justified by grace, we become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Hope is the result of our salvation. Hope is a confident expectation that something's going to happen. It's not wishing it's going to happen. It's not thinking it might happen. Hope is the confident expectation that something's going to happen. Hope is a divine desire for what's ahead. See, that's what I used to be. But because of the salvation that I have through Jesus Christ, I know where I'm going. I have the hope of eternal life. I know eternal life is there. And I know, because of the hope of salvation, what Jesus Christ can make me. If only I'll submit to him. You see, if we won't submit to those earthly authorities we talked about earlier, we will not submit to Jesus. If we won't submit to earthly authorities that we can see, earthly authorities that we can hear audibly with our ears, how can we ever submit to the one that we don't visibly see and that we don't audibly hear? but that we know is there. When we have hope that he'll do what he says he'll do, we ought to be more motivated than ever to live for him. You see, there's this funny thing about hope. Hope is what gives us the power to move on day to day no matter what life throws at us. No matter how bad the situation may be, no matter how, how terrible we think life may be in this moment, hope gives us the ability to move on. Over in Proverbs, Solomon said in, in, in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, he said, hope deferred makes the heart sick. You've seen that, hadn't you? Somebody who's hopeless is down in the dumps. They may be somewhat depressed. They may just... They don't want to be around people. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. He says, but when desire comes, when the hope returns, it's the tree of life. It completely renews us. Where does that hope come from? It starts with an attitude, an attitude of submission to Jesus Christ. What in the world does the hope of salvation have to do with our, our attitude towards others? Look down at verse 8. He says, but this is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly. You hear that? I want you to affirm these. Um, not once a year when we have a holiday to make us remember something. Not Every once in a while, not quarterly, not just on Sundays either. Affirm these constantly. That those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. When the hope of salvation shines through us and we live for Jesus 
And that is evident through the way we live our lives. Others are pointed to him. And you know what? The opposite is also true. When we live our lives refusing to submit, when we live our lives with a bad attitude, we'll never point anyone to Jesus. Good works have nothing to do with being saved. Remember, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but good works are the only evidence to an unsaved world that we're different. Good works are the only thing to show the outside world that following Jesus is worth it. When we live our lives in the confident hope of salvation, the way we carry ourselves is different. Everything about us, about our attitude, is different. And people will realize it. The world ought to realize that the trivial matters of life, they affect us. But they don't affect us like they affect everybody else. And you see this, the hope of salvation is contagious. The hope of salvation is contagious. Paul says there in that last sentence, these things are good and profitable to men. The hope of salvation is the only thing we have that helps us, gives us the ability to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. And we ought to be willing and ready to do that. You know, our freedoms as Americans were purchased by the blood of thousands upon thousands of men and women who were willing to go to battle, who signed that dotted line and enlisted knowing that, you know what, I might not live very many more years. They're going to ship me across the ocean. They're going to ship me to a foreign land. And I may never see my loved ones again. They paid for our freedom with their blood. They paid for our freedom with their willingness to sacrifice their lives. And we ought to be thankful for their sacrifices every day. Constantly. Not just on some special holiday. But you know, our eternal freedom was purchased on a Roman cross by the blood of the Son of God who gave his life for you and for me. And because of that, we have a responsibility to point others to him. We have a responsibility to do that, and it starts, as Paul said here, remind them about their attitude. It starts with our attitude, and it continues as we remember our former state of being. And it continues as the hope of salvation flows through us and floods us and overflows through our good works and spreads to others. That's how we pay tribute to the one who died for us. And you know, I don't know where any of this leaves you today, but as we prepare for our invitational hymn, All this has reminded me that, you know what, sometimes I need to check my attitude. My attitude of submission to those who are over me. My attitude of submission to Jesus Christ sometimes needs an attitude check. What about you? Maybe this morning you just need to pray where you're at. You're welcome to come to the altar and pray about burdens that are on your heart or about other things that are going on. But, you know, maybe we all need to just pray that 
God would help us to check our attitudes. That he would help us to check that attitude of submission. And that we would live a life that's well-pleasing to him. And that we would live a life remembering that sacrifice that he made for us. Whatever God's laid on your heart, let's deal with that as we stand and sing.